it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, partnering with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley. In for just today, Brian will be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits atop what I call the Mount Rushmore of the four most important talk radio programs in America today. And I don't have Brian fourth. Talkers Magazine, my great friend Michael Harrison and their organization, they rate Brian as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. You can follow Brian at BrianKilmead.com and at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Let me plug uh, Brian's latest book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul, and remind you that you have an opportunity to spend some quality time with Brian coming up, Kilmead Live, with special guest star comedian Pat O'Rourke. A Newark, New Jersey date is confirmed for this month, August 27th. Albany, New York, September 8th, Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th, Tulsa, Oklahoma on November 13th. That'll be very, very interesting because that'll be five days after decision 2022. Wow. Ticket information at BrianKilmead.com. Of course, Fox and Friends uh, daily from 6 to 9 in the morning and on Saturday nights, Brian Kilmead. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade with an instant replay classic at 11 p.m. and the uh, first airing at 8 p.m. I said this once before on Brian's show. My father had a doctrine that he taught me as a young boy, and he said, son, if you want something done right, you give it to a busy person because the other people have no time. Great to be in for Brian. Have to begin. We're going to visit with Griff a little bit later in the hour. Griff Jenkins, live from the southern border. And he's got some great projects that we're going to share with you when Griff arrives. But this is Economics 101 rule on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You don't raise taxes during a recession. Even Joe Manchin agreed with himself until he didn't. And then the Biden administration, from the president to the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, torturing the English language, and they won't even admit that we're in a recession. And they have the audacity. They're taking credit. They're creating like flyers and all kinds of social media to take credit for the drop in gasoline prices. They crushed us. And then it comes down a little bit. And they want us to give them, I guess, a participation trophy for it. And, of course, Senator Joe Manchin has flipped, flopped, flipped in a way that I don't think many people saw coming. There's got to be more to this than we know, because I took Senator Manchin at his word. He said that no American should have their taxes raised during economic times like this. And that was before we were officially in a recession. Let me remind you, candidate Biden for president said 
any American making less than $200,000 a year, you will not see your taxes raised by one cent. So he thought he could do the old socket, you know, stick it to the rich. They, they, they never understand free market economics, that the people that, that make jobs possible, when you disproportionately injure them and tax them in ways that's very regressive, then they lay people off or they just close a company that they don't need the aggravation anymore. And then it's regular working folks that lose their job. Let me remind you, and this is an independent review of the, um, the Biden. It's so ironic. I know it's silly. Inflation Reduction Act, when it does just the opposite, it will increase inflation and it raises taxes. This independent review of the Joint Committee on Taxation says that those making less than 200000 a year will pay an additional $16.7 billion towards this so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Those between 200000 and 500000 uh, you will pay between uh, you'll pay 14.1 billion so actually the the lower wage earners will get hurt more so when i say earlier on brian's show that um something happened with joe joe uh senator joe manchin you don't flip-flop like this you don't go from saying you won't do this to doing it five minutes later unless something happened that we may or may not find out exactly what it was i won't speculate because i don't know I just know that when he said he wouldn't raise taxes, and we know independently whether it's the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School or what I just shared with you, the independent review by the Joint Committee on Taxation, or many other people that have studied the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, it's going to raise taxes because it has to be paid for, and that's how they do it. That's how the Socialist Democrats do it. It never results into the... Uh, result that they say. And as always, the exact opposite happens. But you know that Joe Manchin is taking the heat because this exchange is just delicious. With MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell, Joe Manchin, who you don't, he's usually as cool as the other side of the pillow. You don't see him lose it like this. Eric, cut 15. I'm not talking about the 2022 election and 2024. I have no control over those elections, and I'm not going to talk about them that will skew one of the greatest pieces of legislation, and I'm very appreciative that the president has seen it, he's approved it, he supports it. God bless him for that. It's just great for America. Can't we do something for our country without having to bring politics into it? That's all I'm not going to talk about. You're a Democratic senator. I'm just just asking you whether you would support your own, the leader of your own party. Good job, Andrea. He, you could tell he's taking the heat. I'm not going to talk about it. Well, if not now, when? What do you mean you're not going to talk about it? You are talking about it. And this is not great legislation. Let me also remind, I've always been a big believer. It sounds corny, but to fix a problem, you have to recognize you have a problem. If you're dealing with any type of problem in life, whether it's a substance abuse problem, you cannot get help until you admit you have a problem. If you say, I don't have a problem, you're not going to get there because you're not admitting the problem. If you have a structural deficit, if you have another type of operational problem that you have to deal with, you have to say, look, we have a problem here. Identify the problem, and then you come up with solutions. They're not even acknowledging that we're in a recession. I remind the listeners of The Brian Kilmeade Show, I believe something you don't need to be reminded of, but let's make it a point of emphasis and say it anyhow. 
10 out of the last 10 recessions in America, when America experiences a contraction for two quarters, two consecutive quarters with negative GDP, that by definition is a recession. If you go to the dictionary, it's the definition in the dictionary. Now, I know Wikipedia changed it and then locked it down. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on, that they're allowing a torturing of the English language where this administration won't even admit that we're in a recession. I'm not celebrating that we are. I'm rooting for America, but it is what it is. I'll tell you who I am a big fan of, and that's Harris Faulkner. She does great work on the Faulkner Focus with Senator Manchin. Eric, cut 10. We got to know the bottom line on taxes. Let I me mean, tell you the bottom line on that, Harris. You want to know the bottom line? The Joint Committee on Taxation? That opinion was only written by my friends on the Republican side. It was not done by the whole Joint Committee. So that is unfair, too. So let's be accurate what we're doing here. Are you saying that Mitch McConnell and others in the Senate are wrong about those numbers and that Americans' taxes are not going to go up totally beyond wrong. that point? Totally, absolutely wrong. No, you are wrong. And let's squeeze this in. The great philosopher, the podcaster, Joe Rogan, cut nine. People would think that it's trivial because they are talking about this economic downturn. But it's not trivial because we've always used that term recession. And we've always used that term to define whether or not the economic policies that are currently in place and whether or not the management and the government has done a good job of making sure that the economy stays in a good place. They definitely haven't done that. So in order to escape that, in, you know, that sort of distinction, they're literally changing the definition, which is terrible. And it should be pushed back against in a big way. It should, it should be something that people get angry about. Like, hey, you're with definitions in order to pretend that you're doing a good job. And you're doing it, and we're doing it right here today because this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And when we come back, Griff Jenkins, either right when we come back or a little bit later this hour, Back in just a little bit. Thanks for spending this portion of your day with Brian. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley, filling in just for today for Brian. Brian will be back tomorrow. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is the Fox News national correspondent. He's at the southern border. He's in Hidalgo uh, right now as we speak. And we had the opportunity a week ago on Brian's show to talk about what Griff would be doing this week. And you've got some great work. Broken Border Crisis is streaming now, so you can check that out 
on Fox Nation and today at 11 o'clock, Broken Border Crisis Live Summit. Griff, you've got a lot going on. Welcome to Brian's show. Hey, Harry, it's great as always to be with you and Brian's listeners. And it is an important summit here. And I'm uh, down on the border right here in the RGV sector. And Adalgo just did a hit for the channel, breaking some numbers I'll get into. But, you know, this summit is going to have Governor Abbott, the Attorney General Kim Paxton, along with Representative Maya Flores, who is getting a lot of attention, is the first Hispanic Republican elected in this McAllen area where I'm standing right now, along with long. Uh, time Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, a border Democrat, who has been sounding the alarm, which really shows the bipartisan nature of this crisis. And the numbers, just quickly to finish the point, is that there were in the RGV sector alone, uh, uh, when you add up the RGV sector and the Del Rio sector, which is where you see our drone every day now getting these groups of three or 400 coming, just those two sectors alone, there have been more than 800,000 encounters this fiscal year with three more months to go. That matters because the migrants that are being bused to New York City and D.C., where those mayors are crying foul, asking for it to be declared a crisis and saying, please stop sending people, the, the migrants come from these two sectors mostly, and this is ground zero where we are. And, you know, it really, if you connect all these dots, what you're seeing are big city Democrat mayors showing their hand that what's happening at our border is now starting to really have an impact in the interior of the United States as regards to just the sheer numbers of people coming because of this administration's open border policies. And that doesn't even begin to touch the number of criminal migrants, gang members, and the unbelievable unprecedented amount of drugs like the deadly fentanyl that's coming across going into the heartland. Sad to report we're down to three minutes before a hard break, but we're going to make it count. Griff Jenkins, Fox News national correspondent, uh, checking in on the Brian Kilmeade Show live from Hidalgo, Texas. And this summit is going to be so relevant. It's going to be so important because it counters this incredibly intellectually dishonest false narrative of the administration where they keep lying to the – I hate to use that word. We didn't used to say that in this business, but they're blatantly lying to the American people say, at the highest levels saying that the border is locked down. It's just the opposite, Griff, isn't it? You're there. Well, when DHS Secretary Mayorkas says that the border is, quote, secure, as he just did recently at a summit out in Aspen, Colorado – Speaking to a group of elites, nothing could be farther from the truth. Call it what you want, lying, misstatement, whatever, but it is not accurate, not even remotely close. Our southern border is wide open. It's never been this wide open, and that acknowledgement that it is so open is the magnet that is pulling migrants from not just Central America, like Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, but also from Venezuela, Colombia, and China, and every corner of the uh, globe. And that is something that if this administration doesn't find a way to start putting uh, a stop to it, we're going to see the likes of a crisis with regards to our southern border we've never seen. Griff, this is a sidebar, but it's an important one, I think, because President Biden said not one inch, not and no border wall would be finished. No border wall would go up, No, not one panel, nothing. 
and they're obviously breaking that. Although they say they're not, they have another way of torturing the language, the English language, on that. But it seems to me that's clearly to try to aid Senator Kelly, who's in trouble in Arizona. So they're going to finish that open section of the wall. They can call it what they want, Griff. But if wall goes up, they can't say it didn't, can they? But they are. That's right. Four sections in Yuma, Arizona. And it will probably help politically Mark Kelly in his Senate race. But the point is that it would acknowledge it would be a first acknowledgement that I'm aware of, the very first of this administration to listen to border officials who have been saying for decades that walls work. Infrastructure, manpower, and technology is the three-pronged approach for more than 30 years here on the border that has proven as effective as anything. And unfortunately, when they took that infrastructure piece out of the equation, we got what you're seeing now. Today's border uh, Broken Border Crisis Live Summit that's going to be streaming at just a little while from now at 11 a.m. That's Eastern time. So just depending on where you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade show, just adjust your schedule accordingly. But 11 a.m. Eastern, so obviously a different time in the different time zones. But what are you hoping to accomplish, Griff? Well, Harry, I'll be there as well, along with all the uh, Texas officials I named, Maria Bartiromo and Lawrence Jones as well. And I hope to just get one or two more eyeballs that may not be aware of what we have going on down here and hear our story and see for themselves the images, see the numbers, hear the stories of those that live along this border, the ranchers, the local officials, and then they can decide for themselves how important this is. How effective do you think what Governor Abbott has done by whatever the number is? uh, I think it has made a major statement when the mayor of Washington, D.C., is calling for the National Guard because of the migrants being sent to our nation's capital. I thought that was brilliant because it didn't seem to bother anybody on that side of the aisle, especially that this was happening to border states. But, oh, my gosh, it's, it's the end of the world now that it's happening here. And they're blaming Republicans for being political. But what's the problem? If this is a beautiful thing and if everything is, is secure, then you should welcome everything and everyone that's coming your way. I think this has really exposed the duplicity of certain people, Griff. Well, undeniably, he got the attention of people like uh, Mayor Bowser and Mayor Adams and also, to a larger extent, uh, the, the rest of the country. Because, again, here in Texas, since the Biden administration took office some 18 months ago, he launched, Abbott that is, Operation Lone Star to try and get this under control. He's apprehended just 20 seconds. Texas officials some 300,000 migrants and 17,000 criminal migrants. Harry? Griff, keep up the great work. Uh, Your work is so important because so few people are doing it, and you're making such a huge difference. Good to visit with you, and be safe, of course. Thanks, Harry. Have a good one. You too, my friend. That's Griff Jenkins, Fox News national correspondent, live from Hidalgo, Texas. We're going to be back in just a little bit, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think it's important to remind some uh, and inform others 
of how we are here. 43 years ago, with the Taiwan Relations Act, America made a bedrock promise to always stand with Taiwan. And on this strong foundation, we have built a thriving partnership. Today, our delegation, of which I'm very proud, came to Taiwan to make unequivocally clear we will not abandon our commitment to Taiwan, and we are proud of our enduring friendship. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in just for today. Brian will be back tomorrow. In my more than 30 years in this business, I rarely agree with Speaker Pelosi. Uh, I'm on team Pelosi. She had to go. I wish this would have been one of those things where when we've seen presidents or other dignitaries just pop up somewhere uh, and you didn't even know it. Uh, I think this was um, awkward and it was problematic and it it caused problems we didn't need because of the run up and the fact that it was not a secret. Uh, But I'm all for it. Uh, Let's see what the editor in chief of the National Review, uh, the great Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade Show has a say about this. Rich, I'm on Team Pelosi on this. She had to go to Taiwan. Your take. Yeah, I think it once once became a public controversy, and the Chinese were trying to create this new red line that hadn't existed before. Newt Gingrich went in the mid-'90s. Yep. She she had to go. Now, you can make a prudential case against it. You know, we got a, a lot on our plate. We don't want the Chinese helping the, the Russians, which so far they haven't really done much in Ukraine. Um, so, it, it, you know, privately beforehand, if she had decided, well, I'm not going to do this, I wouldn't have thought it was a terrible thing. But I, I think once it became a public controversy, she had to go. And then just the, the, the big thing going forward, you, you can't just go and leave. We, we really need to fortify Taiwan and make it as indigestible as possible for, for the CCP, because th- that's the big takeaway from this. The, the only reason for the Chinese overreaction is they are dead set on taking Taiwan. What, how about this, Rich? Why don't you break down the difference between the Speaker of the House, third in line in succession for the presidency, unambiguously saying and going back 40 some years at least, unambiguously saying we stand with Taiwan and this squishy Biden ease that we get, whether it's Admiral Kirby. Well, let's take let's take a peek at Admiral John Kirby. Uh, Eric, cut number two. When the Speaker of the House says we stand with Taiwan, America stands with Taiwan, how can the Chinese construe that as anything else but that you're supporting independence? I'll let the Speaker speak for herself. Um, All I can tell you, James, is what I told you yesterday, uh, and I'm happy to repeat it. Nothing has changed about our adherence to the One China policy. Nothing has changed about uh, our stance on Taiwan independence, which is that we do not support Taiwan independence. So I don't think we can argue that the Democrat Speaker of the House is basically saying one thing. The administration is saying another. When I was saying it got messy, uh, when the president was approached by a microphone, he didn't think it was a good idea that she go. And here she's going and she went and she left. Uh, So what do you say about these sort of competing philosophies here? Well, obviously, Joe Biden is not a crisp communicator and makes a muddle of uh, a lot of things he shouldn't. This is an area that's genuinely ambiguous. And you look look back across the, the last three or four administrations, and you'd have presidents 
uh, overstating U.S. policy. George W. Bush did it. You had Trump uh, doing it. You have had Biden doing it a couple times, saying we will militarily defend Taiwan. We haven't said that. You know that that's not the official U.S. policy. And myself, I, I'm not sure what I would do if the, if China invi- invaded Taiwan. So I think the common sense policy is make. Taiwan as um, uh, enhances capacities as much as possible to try to drive off an invasion, and that means buying kind of different sort of stuff than they've been buying to this point. You know, they they like big glamorous fighter planes as everyone does, but they need mines, they need drones, they need missiles, they need all the stuff that the Ukrainians have been using against the Russians, and they and they need a lot of it because this would be a really complex, high stakes operation, amphibious operation, if the Chinese were going to go, and you want to make it uh, try to deter them as much as possible so you don't reach that ultimate question of whether we would, we would risk a major war with, with China over it. It's not the first time, but is this the first president that you can recall during your career, even historically, work you've done uh, beyond your, your own career? It goes, da- it goes back much further than just the time you've been in this business, which is a long time relative to a president when a president says something isn't that the policy of the united states of america the president (laughs) says i know you're laughing and and i am too but but he said we will defend so he changed the policy but it's like we immediately just say well no 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 that's just honest joe that doesn't count we'll wait for five minutes from now and then somebody in in comms will make a correction He, he said what you said yeah, <laughs> I know it's it's uh, it's, it's a crazy situation, and they, no one in the administration, no one in the White House treats his word as the final word about what U.S. policy would be. And this is this is though it, it's a really momentous question, and I don't think it doesn't really matter. I shouldn't say that. You know, of course it matters what the president says, but this is a question. If we're going to go to war with China over Taiwan, you need an unambiguous statement, uh, some sort of authorization for Congress. I mean, th- this is not. Not just some contingency operation, you know, in some dusty third world country. This this could be a conflict that could escalate in a nuclear war. So it's more than just the the, the president say so. You need the buy-in of the entire American body politic as reflected through its elected representatives. So if if we're going to get there, it, it's it's a big deal. It needs to be done deliberately. It needs to be done uh, with Congress, not just with the president mumbling an uh, impromptu line. Great answer. Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade show. So there are those out there also that are kind of afraid of their own shadow and, oh, we shouldn't be poking the bear. We shouldn't be upsetting China at all. In the Brian Kilmeade universe and with the great Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade show newsmaker hotline, let's all together take a listen to sort of one of those takes. Tom Friedman uh, on China, Eric Cut Six. Right now is the time to have good relations with China open dialogue and not doing anything to provoke them because eyes on the prize, the prize is Ukraine pushing Russia out of out of Ukraine. And for that, China is helping us. I wouldn't be poking the bear right now. See, now he's not he's not even alone on that um, philosophy. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about what you just heard? it's not crazy. I, I think it's a reasonable point of view that you know the timing wasn't ideal here, and and why uh, poke poke the bear or poke the panda or whichever whatever <laughs> variety of bear it is. That's but um, 
Friedman has been wrong about China kind of all along. He's had this bullish, uh, gauzy-eyed view of China, which a, a lot of, of our elite have, a lot of our um, corporate America has, and it's just wrong. You know, this is uh, China has not, as, and I, I thought this would be the case. China has not, as has gotten richer, liberalized at all. It's it's backslid. It's gotten worse. It now has a president for life, yeah. and it's using its its wealth to to throw its weight around the world and to to engage in a massive military buildup uh, with an eye to taking Taiwan and with an eye to defeating us in a war over Taiwan. And it, uh, ultimately, even if you thought think Pelosi you know, sh- shouldn't have gone here, the, the overreaction, the, the tensions are all on the part of China. There's, yeah. there's no rational reason for them to react to someone being invited to go to a country where they're welcome and showing up for a night. You know, they're doing this because they, they want to create the idea that, that Taiwan is not truly uh, an independent entity and belongs to China, and they create the rules. And they will eventually try to enforce that by, um, uh, at the end of a gun. That is spot on. That's like fact, not even opinion. Rich Lowry on The Brian Kilmeade Show. One more thing on Pelosi. Then I want to talk Senator Manchin and even get to Aaron Judge because you are speaking with the <laughs> guy that is a huge New York Yankees fan my entire life. So we got to save right. at awesome. least a minute or two. Uh, absolutely. Got to save a minute or two for my boy Aaron Judge, who is he's going to do it. He's going to do something that hasn't happened in 61 years. This is going to be very, very exciting as this march gets closer. But on Pelosi, is this as simple as – Because I I disagree with her on almost everything, her philosophy of governance, everything. But she is savvy. She knows it's over. In a couple of months, she'll be done. She won't be speaker anymore. Is this her legacy tour that she did here? Yeah, I, I think that she's got to be thinking of that element of it, that this will be something that uh, will be remembered a very long time. And, you know, she's just given her constituency there where you have a lot of um, Chinese immigrants. She she has been consistently uh, anti-Beijing, um, anti-Communist Party. So I give her credit for, for that. But cl- clearly she, she's, she has a legacy in, in mind, and she'll, she'll be retiring, at least from the speakership, <laughs> come, come January. Now, Senator Manchin, he was so unambiguous in his you don't raise taxes on anyone in an economy like this. And this was prior to officially entering two quarters of negative GDP. And by definition, except for in the Biden language, which is in English, uh, they're not recognizing, mm-hmm. as you know, that it's an inflation, that it's uh, a recession. But it is. And Manchin was just completely Uh, resolved to the fact you don't raise taxes on anyone when the economy is as it is. Well, it's even worse, and now he is, and many, many millions of Americans will be paying more in taxes uh, if this goes through. I'm I'm rooting on Senator Kirsten Sinema to save the day here. We will see. She's keeping her powder dry. But Manchin has flipped his script. What do you say to that, Rich? Um, well, I feel like an idiot because uh, at the beginning of this whole saga with Build Back Better, Better and Mansion, I was like, "Don't trust Joe Mansion." You know, it's great that he's not on board yet, but don't trust him. Yeah. And then slowly, I, I gained faith in him. Me too. And I thought we were secure, and then then he cuts this idiotic deal. Now, look to his credit, it's it's much much smaller than what they're talking about. We're talking about the beginning; it's much less damaging, but it's still counterproductive and a total waste. It makes no sense. You know, you're you're hitting on on one of the contradictions he said in the past, which you you would. 
thing. Makes sense. Don't raise taxes in a, in a recession. Uh, th- this deal violates that. He tries to argue, well, he's not raising taxes. He's just closing loopholes. That's absurd. They're, they're selling it as an Inflation Reduction Act when <laughs> independent <laughs> analysis shows it will slightly increase inflation until 2024 and then slightly de- decrease it afterwards when hopefully you know inflation will no longer be such a big deal. So there's nothing to recommend this. And I, it's just so annoying. You know, He goes on the Sunday shows. He makes these ridiculous arguments for this, this deal saving part of, of Biden's agenda and then says, oh, well, maybe I won't vote for him or you know, maybe he doesn't deserve re-election, Tr- trying to play it both ways for West Virginia voters. So it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I let well, myself get surprised. I, I, I'm going to plead guilty with you, Rich, so you have company. I didn't trust him until I did, and then look what he did in the yep, end. So, there you yeah. go. Well, yeah. set of yeah. a wiser. No, no question about it. Quick, quick comment on have you ever – because I do want to leave a couple of minutes for Aaron Judge. Just a quick 30 or 40 seconds on this, Rich. Have you witnessed during your career prominent members of a president's own party unwilling – it's not, not, not just that somebody had, oh, I have a co- co- conflicting schedule and I can't be with the president today because my election you know, is in two weeks and I, I don't want to lose. But this is them not willing to say he should yeah. run again. Yeah, this, is, this is unprecedented. Yeah, I can't remember anything like it. I, w- I was uh, I was I was still in sh- short shorts as a little boy uh, during during the Carter uh, in 1980. So I don't have a memory of what that was like. You know, he he had a, a, a severe primary challenge, which is always a bad thing. You always lose as an incumbent when that happens. Yeah. But it's an amazing, and it just reflects you know what we all see. Joe, Joe Biden is uh, has slipped considerably. There, you know, a- aging is an inexorable process. You know, it doesn't get better; <laughs> it only gets worse. He's in a real Really high stress job, even if he's not, you know, doesn't have many public events, and and they, they I think a lot of them know, just there, there's no way he's going to be able to do this again. There's just just no way, and you're totally. seeing that reflected now. It used to be whispered conversations, but now you're being, being seeing it reflected out loud. Totally agree. Just over a minute, so we we're going to get here. Aaron Judge, you've written a great article that I ask everyone to read. Aaron, even if you're not a Yankee fan, mm-hmm. because this guy is special. I hope the Yankees can keep him. Uh, they should have signed him before the season, but look at it now. Aaron Judge and the joy of 61. Give us your best minute on it. Yeah, well, one, I think 61 is still the real record. Um, yep, me too. The, the guys who beat it were cheating flagrantly. Yep. And it's just amazing. In all of Major League history, all of it, there are only two guys who've reached 60 or 61, Babe Ruth and Roger Maris, who, who, didn't, who didn't blatantly cheat. And now Aaron Judge has a real legit shot to get there. My, my fear, I, I'm with you. I think he's going to do it if yep. he stays healthy. So yes. every swing, I'm like, don't strain something, Aaron. I know, yeah, or when he's can't. stealing bases and stuff <laughs> Yeah, now. exactly. I'm like, stop yeah, he it. stole number 10 yes. the other night. Like, what are you doing? Don't slide. Yeah, <laughs> so, but it's, it's, uh, it's one of the best offensive seasons in Yankee history. And the Yankees, the most, uh, sorry, Mets fan or, fans or anyone else out there, the most storied franchise in the sport. So when you're, when you're, when you're performing big on the Yankee stage, it's, it's bigger than anywhere, anywhere else. We're on overtime. 30 seconds real quick. Is 60 in 154 games more impressive than 61 in 162 games? You know, it's maybe, but actually Maris, I didn't realize this until I researched it, Maris tied Ruth with fewer plate appearances, three fewer plate appearances. So it, it took a couple more games, but it was fewer plate appearances. So um, 61, though, that, that's the number. Uh, there, there's something you. magic about it. 61 years you know, later, uh, another Yankee could do it. So uh, I, I'm, I'm rooting for him every at-bat. 
Next time we'll speak 14 minutes on the Yankees and one minute, <laughs> yeah, and one minute on the other the important order here, stuff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Rich, you are fantastic. Uh, everybody, so read the opinion piece. It's great. And we'll talk to you again. See you, Rich. Talk soon. You know it. He is Rich Lowry. Was that not a lot of fun? I mean, the serious stuff and then right down. And I'm with him on that. I only count Roger Maris's record. I can't, you can't count the one with the, with the steroids. You just you can't, you can't. Even though baseball celebrated it and it was so exciting, McGuire and Sammy Sosa, uh, 61 is the real record. It, it should stay that that's the record until Aaron Judge beats it this season, and I think he's going to. Like Rich said, if he can stay healthy, we'll be right back. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Look, let's put this thing in perspective here. What interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? We went to Afghanistan for the express purpose of getting rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan as well as, as well as getting Osama bin Laden. And we did. But here's the problem. It's so short-sighted because either they returned right after we ceded Afghanistan. We could have kept just a few thousand. I think the number that I heard was like 5,000 there. And women would still have rights. Al-Qaeda would still not be there. Uh, Ayman al-Zahiri was there because of Biden's decision. It's like taking credit for the price of a gallon of gasoline being less. Eric, cut 13, John Kirby. You're saying that you've always known there was a small number of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. President Biden said, what interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with Al-Qaeda gone? Yeah, I mean, in a major way, Al-Qaeda was not playing a, no, wait, let me, let me finish. They weren't playing a major role uh, in, in operations uh, or resourcing or planning in Afghanistan. But, Peter, I, I know specifically because I was at a different podium a year ago. Uh, with Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey, what he always does so well, Peter, is get to the truth. And that's what the Brian Kilmeade Show does, and we'll be right back. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back with Allison, Pete, and Eric. It's Harry Hurley filling in today. And uh, Brian will be back tomorrow. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for spending this portion of your day with us on Brian's program. Brian Kilmeade holds uh, a very, very uh, rare spot as one of the most important programs in America, places on what I call the Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America. Talkers Magazine rates Brian as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. You can follow Brian at briankillmead.com, briankillmeadshow.com. And remember, at briankillmead.com, you've got the whole retail store, books, which Brian will autograph for you. Brian, as you know, New York Times bestselling author, his latest book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And you can get up close and personal with Brian. A bunch of dates coming up very, very soon. The first is later this month. Kill Mead Live 
with special guest comedian Pat O'Rourke in Newark, New Jersey, August 27th, in Albany, New York, on September 8th, Brandon, Mississippi, on November 12th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, on November 13th. For ticket information, go to briankilmead.com. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Ryan Walters, Oklahoma's Distinguished Secretary of Education. And there is a very, you should treat this as something that give yourself homework. It's not lengthy, but it is important material. Foxnews.com and an article by Fox News Digital, teachers injecting, quote, sick material, end quote, in schools should be kicked out of the profession. Secretary, welcome to Brian's program. Thank you for having me on today, Harry. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and this is so important. And just just so you have this spectrum of observation, I did serve two terms a long time ago as a member of my local school board, and none of this was going on back then. If this was going on now, I don't even know what I would do. I don't know whether I'm glad I'm not there or I wish I was because, you know, things have to be done about this. What do you think it is? I've really strained my brain. Seriously, as a parent, my children are older now, but as a parent, as a former board member, and just a citizen, I'm thinking, what is in it, Secretary, for people to push a graphically sexual curriculum to young grade school students? What is the point here? What are they? Is I, I can come to no conclusion, Secretary, other than it's got to be indoctrination. Because what else would be the reason you would be if if you were on a park bench in a community saying these words to a child, you'd be locked up in a Megan's uh, list offender for the rest of your life. Absolutely. I mean, I'll be real, real direct with this. They are indoctrinating, sexualizing, and grooming kids. There, there is no other reason why grown adults would put it's child pornography. It is pornography depicting minors very graphically in front of grade school age kids. It is incredibly sick behavior. There is no place for it. And the left, the far left, has been playing this game. I really believe. This is the final stage of a strategy they've dedicated for years. They are going to completely indoctrinate young people to reject America, to hate America, to frankly hate their family, to hate American values, to hate Christianity. And they are going to create this group of young people that are the most confused group of young people in the history of America that grow up to hate their country and that rebel against all the values that make America great. That is intentionally – what the far left is doing. And if we don't stop this right now, we're going to get to a point that we're not going to win any elections in the future. Conservative values are not going to be displayed in America. Patriotism isn't going to be displayed in America. We have to get this nonsense out of our schools now and reject social justice warriors masquerading as, 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 as folks in the education profession. Get them out. And let's get back to the basics of learning academics so that our students can be successful. You are listening, and it's a rare thing to actually hear someone say what so many people I know are thinking, but they're afraid. They're afraid to speak out. They're afraid their children will be retaliated against. They're afraid their children will be mad at them. You're embarrassing me, Mom. You're embarrassing yeah. me, Dad. You're making it hard for me in school. I, you know, yeah. I can't take it. I mean, there's so much pressure brought to bear that most good people – Stay silent. And, of course, if you stay silent, then they win, don't they? That's exactly right. You know, 
thank God we live in the United States of America, and thank God for Oklahoma. We're a, we're a conservative state. We have Christian values, and we have parents, grandparents speaking up, going, this is ridiculous. And guess what? You know, I get a lot of conservative teachers that are reaching out to me, too. I met with one last night that was telling me in her school they allow these group called the furries to bark and, and meow at teachers because they identify as animals. It is absurd, and, and when she has brought this up, they're attacking her. She's a teacher going, what, what kind of policies do we have that we allow students to bark and meow because they identify as animals? This is an insane position the far left has pushed on our kids. The, the, the sexualization, I'm telling you right now, when I saw the book, the books that were in one of our biggest school district, Tulsa Public Schools, I go on Facebook and demand them take that down and showed some of the pictures in the book. Harry, I get banned and censored from Facebook Incredible. within 30 minutes of the post, and I, and I then go, so Facebook, woke Facebook, has higher standards than our superintendent at Tulsa Public Schools. I mean, this is okay for third and fourth grade kids, but it's not okay for woke socialist Facebook. It is an absolutely insane, the material they're putting in front of our kids. Such an important conversation with Oklahoma Secretary of Education Ryan Walters on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We've been talking a bit today on The Brian Kilmeade Show, Secretary, about you have to acknowledge that there's a problem before you can fix the problem. And we'll go back into the not-too-distant past when the National Teachers Union president, Randy Weingarten, would not even acknowledge that CRT exists. She writes it off as some kind of, like, somebody's lying about this. Eric, cut 17. What is very troubling about this made-up crisis we have to talk to our kids about both the good and the bad in America. And part of what makes America America is that we get through the bad. Sometimes there's a fight. Sometimes it's about politics. This is what democracy is. And if you think about what we've done from Jim Crow to the civil rights movement to fighting for real equality, fighting for opportunity for all, it is a great American story, but you have to get through it, and we have to have our kids be able to deal with things that are uncomfortable. So in other words, Secretary, we have to teach our children to hate themselves and all these other things that are in critical race theory. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is the National Teachers Union is doing such an incredible disservice to our kids. They are the ones pushing this curriculum. They're the ones pushing the sexualized curriculum. The National Teachers Union is injecting all kind of money into our state right now to influence our elections because, again, they want government control. They want parents out of the education process. All they want is control. So, so the more that we try to empower parents through school choice, the more that we try to bring transparency so that parents can be more involved, the more the National Teachers Union puts back. And I'm going to tell you, the country will not be the same if we allow them to tell our kids that this is an evil, racist country. We are never going to have a young people who are willing to fight for this country, to defend our values, if they hate and believe that this country is evil. And so the country is going to be adrift. The country is adrift, frankly. That's where that's, – this is where – we're in the scenario that they've been wanting for years but I'm going to tell you, secondly, this is not good for kids as individuals. Kids need to be given high expectations. They need to know American history. They need to know that America is the greatest country 
in the history of the world because of the values we were founded on. And when kids know the story of America, they're inspired by it. They know that if they have a good faith and they follow Christian values, if they know that if they hold themselves to high expectations, if they find what they're good at, have good work ethic, they can achieve amazing things in their life. That's the story of America. Every kid should be inspired by that story. Instead, our kids are told uh, a history that isn't real. It's fiction, and they're told they should hate this country, they should hate themselves, and they should be sowing divisions rather than bringing unity and and patriotism back to this country. I'm going to say something to you in the form of a question, Mr. Secretary, that's going to sound like it's over the top, but I don't believe that it is. I believe that we are, are at a critical tipping point in American history where we could be one or so generations away from literally losing our country. How do you react to that statement? Uh, yeah, that's that is that is 100 percent accurate, because, here, you know, and again, my background, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I taught in a public uh, school. I was a history teacher. That's my background. History tells us exactly what you said to be true, Harry. When 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 nations fail to teach their history and to continue their cultures and their values, they cease to exist. That is a is a truth that history has taught us. The Bible explains this very clearly, too, that you've got to hold on to your elders. You have to continue to tell the stories and impress those values upon the future generations. And what we're seeing is an attack on our values, an attack on Christianity, uh, an attempt to completely separate that. And again, we're going to have the most confused young people. A boy's not a boy. There's more. There, there's 114 genders. You can identify as a dog. This is absurdity. Uh, young people are being told things that are absolute nonsense. They're going to grow up confused. They're going to grow up in, in a country that they hate, and they're going to grow up in a, in a situation where they're not going to be successful. And we are going to fall as a country if we don't get this question right. What are the values we want to pass on to the next generation? And let's ensure that our kids in our schools are getting those values taught to them so they can continue this incredible, incredible nation that is America. And as you know, in front of the entire nation, we had a nominee during the advice and consent to win confirmation to the United States Supreme Court, who would, Ketanji Brown Jackson, who was unable to, paralyzed by the question of what is a woman. She wasn't able to give an answer. She actually gave a tortured answer, basically that she's not qualified to answer it, that that's up, that's up to somebody else. What are you talking about? You are a woman. You can't say what a woman is? She couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I gave a speech a few weeks ago to a bunch of our college students in our big universities here in Oklahoma, and I said, guys, let me just – I want to be really clear with this. This should not be a controversial statement, but it is today. There is truth. There is truth. Anybody in academia that wants to tell you there's no truth, everything is ambiguous, a man could be a woman, could be a man, you can't know anything for certain, that is a lie. Seek truth. Seek the light. That is truly what education is about. It's about understanding truth. It's about finding what is good, what, what can be known, and what the left is. And frankly, this is Biden's America. Biden's America, his vision is to confuse Americans, to teach them to hate their country. And again, if they can get into our young people early and preach this, hey, if you're in a school and this is what's being taught for 12, hey, just to show you, you know, it's funny, Tulsa Public Schools, they're one of our first schools to violate critical race theory ban here in the state of Oklahoma. We just sanctioned them for that. They're now the ones that were pushing this pornographic books. And guess what, Harry? They are one of the lowest performing schools in the country. 
it's not a coincidence. They're they're more concerned with create. You know, they're playing the woke Olympics over there. How can we out social justice the the superintendent down the road than they are about? Are we teaching math, reading, writing those basic skills that empower kids? to go get a job, to be able to provide for a family, to be able to live the life that they want to live. No, they're more concerned with checking every box of victimhood and telling kids, actually, we're going to give you every excuse why not to be successful rather than inspiring them and equipping them to be successful. I wish this wasn't so, but we are in the final minute before a hard break. I wish we had all day. I could talk to you all day and and not get tired of it. Oklahoma Secretary of Education Ryan Walters is our guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Commonwealth of Virginia showed America the roadmap. Terry uh, McAuliffe was poised to win a second term. It would have been non-consecutive. He was going to win. It was over. But then he said to parents that you have no say in your children's education. Parents went, as you, as you know, they went bananas over that. Of course, we had the Department of Justice investigating parents who merely were attending board meetings as domestic terrorists. In the Commonwealth of Virginia, which had turned decidedly blue, they switched horses because of this. This is repeatable across the country. Your closing comment. Yes, sir. We've got an incredible governor here in Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt. Uh, We've seen this from Governor Yunkin. We've seen Governor DeSantis leading on this. Nobody knows best for their kids than their parents. The left is trying to box parents out, and they want the government to control your kids. Conservatives and these great conservative governors are leading on this issue saying, absolutely not. Parents should be in charge of their kids' education. They should have school choice where they decide. And the schools should be transparent and accountable to every parent to ensure that their kids, when they're being dropped off at a school, are getting the best education possible. We're going to roll with parents, conservatives, conservative parents and grandparents, continue to do what you're doing. We can get this country back on track by taking our education system from the leftist and putting great American values in place so our kids can be inspired and equipped to be successful. When you win, we win. Oklahoma Secretary of Education Ryan Walters, your work is so important. Keep it up. Honor to present you today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you very much for having me, Harry. I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you. You're welcome. We will be right back. Wow, that gives you something to think about, doesn't it? It's literally the difference between losing or saving our country. I really believe that. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It is indeed with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We have time for one call in this segment, and we've got some great stuff coming for you right after the bottom of the hour break. So stay close to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll go to the 866-408-7669, Brian Kilmeade Show uh, phone lines. Rick is in Hollywood, California. Welcome to Brian's program. Rick, you're on the air. I know you want to talk about CRT, critical race theory. Well, Go ahead. Well what, I, well, what I want to say is I agree with the previous uh, caller about there's there's only one truth. The truth is there's men, there's women. We don't get to choose which one we are. If you need help trying to figure out why you feel confused, great. But there's only one man, one woman. So I don't agree with any of that. And I agree with we should be teaching the truth. Uh, and then he mentioned we should be – teach the truth of the history of this country, which is a racist history. And that racism 
Well, that, Rick, that's a part of our country's history. That's not our that's not our history. It's a part okay. of our history. Okay, it's a part of our history. So if if you're concerned and he's concerned with truth, then we should be concerned with the whole truth. And part of our history and part of our current situation is racism and critical race theory deals with that. So you can't say you're for the truth and not be for all of it. So well, no, but you can't you can't pick out one thing. And then say you got to take the whole thing. What if you disagree with parts of the whole? Let me give you an example. If you go to Monticello today, you will have a tour guide basically telling you what a terrible person Thomas Jefferson was, the author of the Declaration of Independence, third president of the United States, founder of the University of Virginia. If you go to James Madison's house, fourth president of the United States, he'll be trashed during your tour. This is the radicalism that we're talking about. CRT, if you pull out one thing that is altruistic and good, but then we have to take the rest, come on. I, I appreciate your call, Rick, but this is not a uh, all or nothing. Uh, you, know, you can't just pick one thing and then say we, we've got to take everything else that goes along with it. If time had permitted, there are so many things about critical race theory uh, that are not appropriate. You pick out maybe one thing that is that doesn't mean we have to take the rest. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If House Speaker Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. As for what measures exactly we will take, let's wait and see if she dares making the visit. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley. Filling in just for today, Brian, we'll be back tomorrow. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Victoria Coates. Great experience, former United States Deputy National Security Advisor for Middle East and Northern African Affairs, also former uh, senior advisor uh, to the United States Secretary of Energy, so a whole lot of experience and cred. Victoria, welcome to Brian's program. Harry, thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure. So let's start with our speaker, because she became the first speaker since Speaker Gingrich about a quarter of a century ago to set foot in Taiwan. Obviously, this is a different environment. I don't remember. I covered Speaker Gingrich then. I don't remember quite the dust up. But of course, this was preempted by a leak days in advance. I think that was very injurious to all of it. It would have been great, I think, if she could have just popped up there and then China would have been like, oh, we got to respond now. But they've had days to respond. And, you know, they'll stage their military drills and all of this. Uh, What's your take on all of it? I say she had to do it once it was leaked. If she didn't do it, that would have then portrayed American weakness. I believe that would have been significantly unacceptable. What's your take, Victoria, on all of this? Well, I think I think I pretty much agree. I think it, it was handled really terribly, and the the corollary to it is the situation with the Russian or hostage swap situation with Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, which is being played out in the headlines instead yeah. of taking place behind closed doors. And then it becomes really, really messy. And in case of the case of the Taiwan visit, there was a significant ratcheting up of tensions in 1996, right before Speaker Gingrich went. So it was it was a hot time. 
uh, but it points out that this is not unprecedented. And we have bipartisan delegations going from Congress all the time. We had a bunch of senators from both parties go in April. My yeah. old boss, Senator Cruz, went you know two years ago. It's it's not new, but when you create a media firestorm like this, uh, it just it just increases the uh, opportunity for mistakes and accidents, and that's what we really don't want. Let's go to that hostage uh, potential swap that you mentioned, Victoria, because I've been very interested in that. You have a lot of experience in this. These are just things that I have the privilege to talk about. So I really respect your um, your guidance in this area. It seems to me we would get Brittany Griner back, which it's it's outrageous. I mean, for this hemp oil, you know, whatever it is uh, that she's there. We know why she's there. If Ukraine, Russia was not going on. I don't think she would be there. Right now, I could be wrong. We can't prove what you know can't exist uh, because these other facts, you know, are are, are there, and y- y- it's all within the same type of deal. So I think I'm right on that, but I can't prove it. But don't you usually, when you do a swap, does 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 one side get a really good person back, and the other side gets a really really bad person back, or is there usually <laughs> some level of face saving equity? Uh, in these types of transactions, and I know they have to be delicate and uh, delicate, and I know you know about all of this. Um, what's your opinion? I agree with you completely, Victoria. Playing out loud the way it has has been a disgrace. It's it's like amateur hour. It's terrible. You know, it's, go send Richardson quietly and go get something done. Don't do it like this. What what are your thoughts about oh, I- all of that? Absolutely, and I mean, I worked with Governor Richardson closely uh, in the in the Trump administration, because, you know, he'll work with uh, both parties to try to bring American citizens home. And he's been a very effective advocate. Uh, And it's one of the most challenging things you deal with, but ultimately the most rewarding, because, of course, we want to bring everyone home. It's a top priority for for, uh, President Trump. But at the same time, you don't want to encourage the bad behavior that leads to the hostage taking in the first place, because, you know, our Iranian friends, our Russian friends, they do this as a matter of course. They think scooping up American nationals is, is a tool of statecraft, uh, not not a crime. And we don't we don't act that way. And the people that the Russians are asking for in return and they keep upping the ante because they can do it in the press. You know, it's the merchant of death. It's a convicted murderer. You know, the, the, one of these things is not like the other. And so they're asking for some very, very bad people in uh, in in a swap for in unjustly detained American citizens. So, you know, we want our folks back. We'll do everything we can to get them back. But at the same time, we don't want to endanger other assets who might be traveling in Russia. Yeah, it's a great point. Let's head back now to this whole China-Taiwan dust-up. Take a listen, Victoria. And if you're just joining Brian's program, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Victoria Coates. Great deal of credibility in national security and energy. The Tom Friedman has a take on this that I don't think it's ridiculous what he's saying, but I think it, it, it almost seems like America in the posture of of kowtowing or being weak, not being willing to say what needs to be said and so on. Eric, cut six. Right now is the time to have good relations with China, open dialogue and not doing anything to provoke them because eyes on the prize. The prize is Ukraine pushing Russia out of out of Ukraine. And for that, China is helping us. I wouldn't be poking the bear right now. See, now I want to be on Team Tom, but then I think about the fact that President Xi for life, he doesn't mind uh, saying that 
you play with fire, you perish by fire. So what are we walking on eggshells for? Well, that's that's an excellent question, and I would I would flip Tom's premise uh, and say the uh, the prize that we should have our eyes on is not first and foremost getting Putin out of Ukraine, as desirable as that is. It's containing a very aggressive, hostile China. Now, nothing would make me happier than having a good relationship with China. They have made that impossible. There's nothing we can do to force that into being. Uh, with the Uyghur situation, with Hong Kong, with their predatory. Uh, trade practices, not to mention the fact that they unleashed the COVID-19 virus on the world. This is not a nice group of people that you can just make nice with. So, and I would also make the point that they aren't helping us in Ukraine. Russia just became the largest single exporter of energy to China, surpassing the Saudis, uh, I think, month before last. And so basically Xi is bankrolling this. So maybe he is and maybe he isn't sending them drones. But the premise that he is it's helping us and not aiding and abetting Putin is ridiculous. And I think Tom really needs to rethink that. Great, great uh, response. I, I'm, I'm on Team Victoria all the way on this. Victoria Coates <laughs> on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now let's go because this, this is – it's a terrible analogy, but the, the president and his comms director and press secretary, they're all – taking credit that gasoline is like 40, 50 cents cheaper, but not taking credit that it's twice still as much as it was before they came into power. And now you have the president, I mean, using nighttime, prime time to take basically a victory lap during his his horrifically bad presidency to take credit for approving the CIA to take down Ayman Zahiri, uh, which I want to stipulate. Um, I'm glad he's at cave temperature. Uh, leader of al-Qaeda, 9-11 mastermind. He's where he, he should be. I support the actions of my president and, and all of that. But at the same time, if our president doesn't bungle Afghanistan so horrifically bad, then al-Qaeda would not have reconstituted and there would not have been Zawahiri uh, in Afghanistan to hit him with a drone. Uh, so I'm conflicted with this, Victoria. Well, it's, you know, it, it is, it's a deeply conflicted situation, Harry, and, and I am, like you, uh, very glad that Zawahiri is not uh, plotting attacks on Americans any longer. Yep. He had a lot of blood on his hands. And one thing that I think is very positive about this is I have a lot of friends who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan who were deeply demoralized by the spectacle of surrender that we had this time last year and felt like the value of their service had really been called into question. And I think this really validates the fact that we have wonderful men and women who have served for over 20 years to try to keep us safe. And they are continuing to serve, and this was a major triumph for them. So I I concur with you on that. But it is deeply dangerous that literally in the month after we fled from Kabul, you have Zwahiri moving into a, a quote-unquote safe house, yeah. more or less in the open, collaborating with the Taliban, who are supposed to be our new close personal best friends and oh, collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, this is the tip of the iceberg. If he's there, you know, and he's extremely high profile, who else is lurking in Kabul and its environment, uh, getting their hands on all our equipment, exploiting the Bagram Air Base? What might they do next? I think, you know, while certainly... Uh, congratulations are in, in order for this this action. I'm deeply concerned about what comes next. And you're so correct about that. He's not the only one. They're back. 
how anybody could have ever believed that we could trust the Taliban. Remember, women were going to be in their government. Schools were going to stay open. I mean, women have been sent back to the Stone Ages. Schools were were torn down, burned down, knocked down. There's no school. Uh, and I agree with you. Al Qaeda is back. And if we had kept a couple thousand people there, none of this would be happening right now. And we would have those maybe those billions of dollars of weaponry we could have helped Ukraine with or just had had the the apparatus. So, yeah, it's bad on top of bad. But but the one saving grace is that Zahari is gone and that's good. Let's go to the climate bill and energy and things that you're very, very good with. And of course, our own energy secretary not long ago didn't even know how many barrels of oil we even I know that as a talk show host. <laughs> I know how many millions of barrels a day on average we use in America. That was a stumper. She, it was like Ralph Cramden couldn't name who, you know, the song Swanee River was, but he knew every other song in the world. This was crazy how little – we have a transportation secretary who basically rode on a train, and he says that makes him qualified, went away for two months, and nobody knew he even left. And, and of course, he's leading in New Hampshire for the Democrats, so you, you can't make this stuff up, uh, Victoria. And an energy secretary who I, don't, I didn't really think much of as a governor, and I think a lot less of as an energy secretary. So all these serious issues, and obviously energy right now is so costly, and it's, it's affecting every American listening to Brian's program to one degree or another. So let's start with uh, all of this, climate bill, energy. What's your take on what's happening? Well, I think uh, you may know that in my, in my checkered past, I actually have a PhD in our history. So I, I am very interested in pictures. And if you look at the pictures from the president's trip to Saudi Arabia, big table and the president sitting across from Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and you look to MBS's right, it's his half-brothers, Prince Abdulaziz, who I know reasonably well, who's their energy minister. And you look at the American delegation, and Secretary Granholm is nowhere to be found. She was in Singapore tweeting about electric cars. She didn't even make the trip. So the Saudis came with the most serious person in fossil fuels on the planet, ready to talk business, and the Americans didn't even have their team. I mean, they had their C team. They had a guy from the State Department who does energy. So that shows you how much Joe Biden actually cares about bringing down gas prices for all of your listeners. He doesn't. He I wants agree. the prices to be high. I, he wants to force you to buy an expensive electric car. Right. That's why, as you know, Victoria, they call it we're transitioning. They call it good news. These high prices mm-hmm. are fantastic because, after all, Victoria, we are transitioning. Well, and that's, that then gets us to this horrible so-called uh, Inflation Reduction Act, oh. which will do nothing to reduce inflation. It is a massive tax on all Americans the large burden of which falls on folks making less than $400,000 a year, which I think is most of us. Uh, and it, it includes things like $60 billion, with a B, dollars for climate justice. Mm. Uh, I don't even know what that is. But we also like, – the number caught me, my attention because the cap for our uh, – our investment vehicle to theoretically uh, counter China, the DFC, is also $60 billion. So we will spend $60 billion to counter China, but the equal amount on environmental justice in what is, as I said, just a massive tax on the American people to force through the Green New Deal. And as you know, candidate Biden promised no one making under 400000 would have a single 
penny tax increase. We know that those making less than 200000 are paying more. $16.7 billion is the estimate uh, compared to those making between two hundred and five hundred thousand, so a lot of them are also under four hundred thousand a year. Uh, so the candidate now president lied to us. Yeah, there were a lot of whoppers. He also said he wouldn't build a wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are a number of things that came out on the campaign trail that that got mugged by reality. But uh-huh. you know, it really is shameful, and I think. You know, Congress, I'm from Pennsylvania, where we have, you know, a a flourishing energy industry. But the other thing we have going on is radical environmental groups, which also stand to benefit from the various pots of money that will be handed out in this this legislation, suing our new infrastructure investment projects into submission. And so we could ramp up by 10 percent in very short order, like in a matter of months and export tons of nice, clean Pennsylvania natural gas to the rest of the world. And we're also one of the largest electricity exporters. But, you know, all of that is being undermined by what is represented in the legislation that we're talking about. It's the tip of the spear. spear. It's just the beginning of what they want to do to our domestic energy industry. Victoria, very illuminating, uh, pun intended. Uh, Great, great time spent (laughs) with you. And uh, keep up the good work. You're really, really listenable, and uh, you shared a lot of important information with Brian's listeners. Have a great day. Thanks, Harry. Take care. You're, you're welcome, Victoria. That's Victoria Coates. We will be back in just a little bit. Please don't go away. I am Harry with this wonderful team, Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest-growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Harry Hurley. I am with Allison, Pete, and Eric. Filling in for Brian today only. Brian back tomorrow, which is wonderful. Yeah, as you know, he, he hates missing. He rarely misses. So General Jack Keane, retired general, one of my favorites, great Fox News contributor on military affairs. He said something that I saw live on the Fox News channel yesterday. And I agree with him about the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri. Uh, but he gives credit where credit's due a little bit. Because you should, and we did, Victoria Coates just did, but it's not, it's not a vindication of President Biden's horrific strategy in Afghanistan. Eric, cut 14. Oh, it's a very big deal. I mean, two Democratic presidents, two Republican presidents, that kind of perseverance and determination and the fact that our intel and counterterrorism professionalists stayed on this target, passed it to people who succeeded him while others retired, never gave up. Yes, it's a big deal. But what we have to know what it's not. It is not a vindication of the president's withdrawal decision from Afghanistan. And that's the reality of it. I mean, the American people can see what's happening here. We turn the country over to our adversaries, the Taliban. They are in control. They are harboring in an influential neighborhood where Taliban leaders live. And that's just the latest example why General Jack Keane is one of the best in his field. We will be back in just a few minutes. More important content straight ahead on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, partnering with Pete and Allison and Eric, this wonderful team at the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Harry Hurley, filling in just for today, and Brian will be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian holds a place on the Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America today. Talkers Magazine rates Brian Kilmeade as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. Of course, you can enjoy Brian Daly, Hurley in the Morning. Uh, on Fox and Friends, you have Brian here on the Brian Kilmeade Show all across America on radio. Saturday night, you have Brian Kilmeade with One Nation with Brian Kilmeade and then an instant replay classic at 11 p.m. every Saturday. You can partner with Brian at briankilmeade.com, briankilmeadeshow.com. And let me tell you how else you can get close to Brian uh, in the, in the coming weeks and months. Kilmead Live with special guest comedian Pat O'Rourke. Brian has shows and tickets are at briankilmead.com in Newark, New Jersey on August 27th, right around the corner. Albany, New, Albany, New York on September 8th. Brandon, Mississippi on November 12th. And Tulsa, Oklahoma on November 13th. Again, ticket information at briankilmead.com. Brian's latest book is The President and the Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Joining us on the Newsmaker Hotline, you talk about saving America's soul. We have something going on in America that we have to confront. We have to talk about it. We have to acknowledge that it's happening, because until we acknowledge that it's happening, we're not going to fix this. And look, we've had tough spots. Some people think it always has to be this way. America streets on fire, people just robbing stores and nobody gets charged. People assault cops and nothing happens. You're out. Lee Zeldin, congressman, uh, gubernatorial candidate. Lee Zeldin, let's hope and pray he can pull this off in New York State. Uh, Hochul is terrible. Lee Zeldin could be like a Pataki-like governorship and actually clean New York back up. But he's just on a, on the stump. And this man with, with a double uh, finger, knuckles, uh, knife of some kind gets right at him. We have what happened there. We had what happened to um, United States Supreme Court Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And this has gotten the attention of the House of Representatives because they're taking measures, uh, giving members the opportunity to increase their security protection because we're entering a violent phase of American history that is extremely dangerous. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, and we wrote an extensive piece featuring Congressman Van Drew, is United States Congressman, the Honorable Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry, it's great to be with you, and it's an honor to be on the show. Great honor to present you as well. So I don't think you take umbrage with anything I said in my preamble. Uh, this is very serious. It's escalating and we as a nation, we have to confront it. We cannot allow abnormal to somehow masquerade as normal. We're in a bizarro world where there's a lack of respect for the rule of law. There's a lack of respect for police. And now and we even know this is this is stunning 
Twenty percent of the American people surveyed said that it's okay to inflict violence on members of Congress. That's flat out dangerous, Congressman. Well, I'm hoping that that number that is somewhat wrong because I still have faith in the vast majority of American people. I mean, there are definitely some folks out there, the, the, the minority, that small minority that really want to change the substance and the, and the fabric of this country. Let, let's understand something. This is just another symptom. This is just another part of what is happening to this great America. I mean, whether it is, you know, defunding, demeaning and diminishing our police, whether it's not following the rule of law, whether it's letting people in and out of jail uh, as quickly as they get in, they're out. And many of these people are guilty of violent crimes and should be in jail, quite frankly, for the rest of their life. I believe in, in tough rule of law where if you do something really bad and hurt somebody, you're in jail for a good long time or maybe forever. And I think the majority of people think that it is part of what we're doing to our military and making it woke. You know, they try to make make it out like everything is good with the military. It's not not as many people are joining. We have problems. It's because of what they're doing to it and changing, again, the structure of what is or was the greatest military the world has ever seen. It's what we're doing with our borders and letting people who are sick, people who are literally criminals, people who are um, full with hosts of different problems and issues, and we're funding them. We're funding them. We've got people in America who are struggling because their income isn't going up as quickly as the inflation is. But yeah. we found it to, to make cards for these people, to give them transportation, medical aid, to give them homes, hom- all kinds of things. So it's everything. And this is just another symptom of how we're going wrong in the last two years. I mean, I think about then-candidate, and she was a terrible candidate, didn't even make it into 2020, out with 1% of the vote or less in 2019. But you had uh, Kamala Harris, then-candidate, senator, candidate, for, for vice president, ultimately with uh, candidate for president Joe Biden. But at that point, she was uh, running for the uh, Democratic nomination for president. And she was bailing these violent people out of jail. This was their this was the Democrat playbook. Congressman Van Drew, they were supporting this violence and all the robbery that was taking place. You've seen it all over the country. It's 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 every major city. I had someone call me the other day right in Atlantic City. Someone was just stuffing a bag filled with stuff. So if you think this is only Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle or Portland or, you know, pick a major big city, the world's playground, Atlantic City, somebody stuffing a bag filled with stuff, knowing that nothing is going to happen to them, that like Congressman Zeldin said, that person will be out in a few hours like nothing even happened. And now it's gotten so bad that members of the House of Representatives, Congressman Van Drew, have now an alleged budget of up to $10,000 each to upgrade and increase their home security systems. You know, look look where we've come to. Oh, it's just such a shame. And it doesn't have to be. We can fix this. We can fix all of it with just good American values. Just two years ago when President Trump was the president, we were number one on everything. We were safe. The crime rate continued to go down. Not only was it not going up, it was going down. Uh, things were safe. People were making a good income. There was 
virtually no inflation. Unemployment was low, but it was unemployment was low when we had real participation in the workforce. A lot of people aren't participating in the workforce true. right now. So um, it, it, it's just you were right when you use, you use the word bizarro. I walk sometimes on a quiet night in Washington from the Capitol back. And I just think, my God, I, I stand, I, and I mean this, this is not being melodramatic, and I, I look at that beautiful building and what it represents and the men and the women that went before us and that died for us, and that now we have these leaders, the majority in, the, in, in Congress, uh, the president and the vice president and, and others, and they, they are not worth, I'm sorry, and I don't mean to be mean, but it's true. They are not worthy to have these positions. Well, I agree. They're not in in love with America. So let me dovetail that into a a very pointed question, because we're 96, 97, whatever it is, days from one of the most, if not the most consequential elections in American history. Sounds partisan, but I don't mean it to be partisan. I just know what they've done over the past 18 months. They're destroying everything, all norms, uh, the economy. Half of 54 percent of Americans are skipping meals and buying less food. I mean, who would have believed that in 18 short months we would be paying five, six, seven, eight dollars a gallon for gasoline, depending on what state you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade show. And that we would have all these um, regressive, horrific things going on. So having said that, how important is regime change that Republicans must win at least the House of Representatives on November 8th? There are two pieces here. One, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping so much that we can also pull out the Senate. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and of course, the House. So there's two pieces to this. One of them is we have to win, not just because we have the word Republican after our name, because we believe in fixing all this, because we don't believe in a global economy and philosophy that we believe in the greatness of America, number one. So we've got to, and you are absolutely right, and I'll be bold enough to say this is the most important election since the Civil War, because even in World War II, we were all together, So basically, so it was different. But now we have all the fractions and, and all the problems that have happened at factions as well because of these people. You know, in leadership, Harry, you have the ability to bring out the best or the worst in human beings, the people that follow you. And this group, uh, this majority, this you know, president and this vice president are bringing the worst out in everybody. So it is critical. Um, I, I, I'm afraid for the country, and I don't mean afraid like I'm scared. I mean afraid if we don't do the right thing, we're not going to keep the America we know and love. So I'm going to fight like hell. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to say what the truth is. I'm going to work hard at it. And, you know, if I offend some people, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. But you know what? The truth shall save us, and we need the truth. Second important piece to this, when we get in, we're not going to be able to fix everything immediately because the president doesn't have to do what we want, and he's going to be able to veto stuff. But I'm telling you, our new majority has to squeeze him like a soft lemon. I mean, he needs to really 
give and, and change um, what he's doing and give in. Um, and if we don't, if we don't stand strong, if we're just going to be, you know, Democratic light or we're just going to be what's been going on all along, we're not going to make it. We've got to represent America, freedom, strength and the future. We're down to two minutes, Congressman, and I think this is going to be time well spent. I want Brian's listeners all over this great country to understand to what degree this has disintegrated. You, a year ago, you drew a line. You received a threat. It was a threat to you. We, we covered it very closely uh, at the time together, both the, the writing that I do and also on our program on air. I, I'd like you to tell in two minutes' time, I know it's tough, um, the, uh, the threat that you received, and, and um, imagine it was from a so-called member of the media. Uh, share that story. Uh, it's an unbelievable story, and I'll, I'll condense it down because it does take time. But here's the bottom line. Some individual, I won't, I'm not going to even mention his name, but we know who he is, um, when I wasn't home, I was in Washington, called my answering machine. We were listed our number, and there was a voicemail there, and the voicemail said that he was going to do all of these horrible things to my wife, to my family, and it was recorded. So he couldn't say that he didn't say it. But not only did he do the voicemail, he was a reporter for a local paper. Not only was he a reporter for the local paper, this particular local paper allowed him to do editorials. I do not exaggerate. You saw them where he spoke about raping my wife, slamming her on the hood of the car, hurting and killing my children and family, and, of course, killing me. Now, I may be bargained for that. It's not normal for anything. It shouldn't happen to Lee Zeldin. It shouldn't happen to me. But, my God, don't do that to our families, to our babies. And the worst of it all is, though, the paper didn't see anything all that much wrong with it. So we had to blow it up. I mean, we got it to other media outlets, thank God. Uh, I got it on Fox and other places where they spoke about it. And people were angry. And you know the reason people were angry, too? Because this newspaper is the official newspaper of Ocean City, New Jersey. 30 and seconds. So, uh, they pay to place their legal ads in the paper. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, we did everything we could. You know, he got a slap on the wrist, unfortunately. He should have gotten more. The FBI investigated, et cetera. He didn't have any priors. That was one good thing. But what? I think the paper is more vulnerable almost than this insane individual. Congressman, it's a chilling story, and um, good to present you today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Until we meet again, keep up the good work. Thank you, Harry. It is always an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Take care. Thank you. Congressman Jeff Andrew will be back in just a little bit. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley. Filling in today, Brian will be back tomorrow. Thanks for spending this portion of your busy day here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We appreciate you. Now, I'm just such a firm believer, and I mentioned this once or twice today on Brian's show, that to fix a problem, you have to recognize that there is a problem. 
let me outline briefly the problem, and then I'm just going to let you listen to some of the highest level people in our country not even remotely get it. They can't say it. It's like Fonzie couldn't say he was wrong. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. We right now have 54% of the American people buying less food than they used to buy. We're not talking need and want. Uh, I'd love to buy a new car, but I really don't need a car. That's a want buy. You need food. We have a certain number of Americans, and the number is big, that are skipping one meal a day, some even more than that. It's incredible what's happening right now. And we have an administration that will not admit that we're in recession. I'm not celebrating. I want us to win. I'm, root, I'm rooting for America. It doesn't have to be this way. Bidenomics doesn't work. What we had in place 18 months ago did work. This doesn't work. We were at under 2% inflation. Everybody was making it. Every demographic was making it. Highest salaries they've ever had in every demographic. Now you can't even say I got a 5% raise because you really have a 5% cut because we're at 9 going on 10% inflation. And I believe it's higher than that. So just listen to this incredible montage of the Biden administration attempting to torture the English language and actually redefine recession. Eric. Cut eight. What a recession really means is a broad-based contraction yeah. in the economy. And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. We're not going to be in a recession, uh, in my view. The idea that uh, two-quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical definition of a recession is wrong. Uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. We're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That is not the definition. It is the definition. That's uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre, Brian Deese, Jared Bernstein, Secretary Janet Yellen, President Joe Biden. This is an ancient. This is just July 24th through July 27th. We're talking in the last week. They're not recognizing it. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley. Filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. Thanks for spending this portion of your day here with us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, what we're going to do in this segment, and it's going to be two segments, we're going to have a fun mental health break. We're going to turn off all of the hot talk, all of the pressing problems that are just really stressing out all Americans. And we're going to take advantage of the fact that a great man lived and he passed away after living a great life. The term legend is often overused, but not in this case. Vin Scully, the voice of both the Brooklyn Dodgers on the East Coast, the Los Angeles Dodgers on the West Coast, passed away at age 94. He spent 67 of those years doing something that I don't think any one person will ever do again. We've had great ones uh, make it 55 years and 40-some years. You had Bob Shepard, the PA announcer of the Yankees, for 56 years. 
Ernie Harwell, 55 years, 42 years with the Detroit Tigers. You had Joe Buck, nearly, I'm sorry, Jack Buck, his dad. Jack Buck, nearly 50 years. Pete would have corrected me in two seconds had I not caught that. Uh, You had Harry Carey, who did 53 years, 8,300 calls, play-by-play, for the St. Louis Cardinals, one year for the Oakland Athletics, 11 years for the Chicago White Sox, 15 years for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, you've seen him imitated over the top on different sitcoms and things, uh, late, late night TV. Hilarious. But these were icons. These were greats. I cannot do this segment justice by myself, so I'm going to bring another great baseball mind. Producer Pete is going to co-host with me for the rest of today's program. Pete, thanks for the time. Glad you're with us. I'm going to take the opening comment because I'm your filling guy today. And I'm going to go to um, what I think is one of the biggest moments in baseball history. I still recognize this as the all-time home run record. I recognize uh, Roger Maris as the all-time home run record king for one season. And I even put Babe Ruth, because he played 154 games at 60 home runs, as also an all-time leader. And this is why what Aaron Judge is doing is so exciting. I was very young. My twin brother and I recorded Hank Aaron's every at-bat when he got to 714 home runs and the next one, whenever he hit it, would be number 715. Vin Scully had the call. It was April 8th, 1974. Those two knucklehead young guys, I read about them the other day, that came out on the field and were grabbing his arms as he's rounding second base towards third base towards coming home. April 8th, 1974, Hank Aaron beats the Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth's all-time home run record that had been 714 for many, many decades. Eric cut 19. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. I picked that for many reasons. Number one, iconic record. Number two, you cannot forget, like Vin Scully, remember to remember, to share the, the significance of that. Hank Aaron was receiving death threats. I mean, vicious things in the mail and and everywhere he went, the pressure that was brought to bear of certain people in America that did not want Babe Ruth's record to be beaten. I mean, it's undeniable. So I started with that, Pete, because I just couldn't help myself. And I think if I didn't, you may have, right? Yeah. What what I love about this moment, I didn't live it, but you look back, you read the historical records. He did it with class. I mean, how many people would have been able to, in his position, receiving the death threat, receiving the the God knows how many racist, uh, disgusting letters and comments that he had to deal with? Even, you know, going back when he first came up, and now we're talking 1974, and he just did it with a smile. And I believe, to paraphrase one of his great quotes, he said, to show you his class, 
I wasn't trying to erase Babe Ruth from the you know from people's uh, conscious. I was just trying to make people remember Hank Aaron. Yeah, I love it. I love it. He's an elegant man that um, you know was I think the perfect man, modest man uh, to do this, and and not lost on me is is obviously uh, some of what Vin Scully talked about the South and the feelings towards African Americans even in 1974 in certain quarters. Producer Pete. The next moment in Vin Scully's career belongs to you. Well, this one I'll go with uh, Cut 20 with Bill Buckner because this is my one of my earliest memories of Vin Scully growing up, and I'll never forget watching this game live, being able to stay up late uh, late night during the entire series on the games that were uh, played when I was you know went to school the next day. So let's listen to Bill Buckner's uh, Big Era in World Series Game 6. Cut, Cut 20. 20. It's up to Bob Stanley, and it's up to Mookie Wilson. along first behind the bag it gets through Buckner here comes Knight and the Mets win it now remember Pete in that series the Mets had oh they say it's a mistake somebody made a mistake but they lit up on the jumbotron congratulating their opponent as the World Series champion that's how much it was over uh that is a moment remember there was the big um bring Buckner back forgive him moment and it was really beautiful it's, it's kind of like the Bartman you know ball thing yeah. uh incredible give us you it, that's doesn't that just give you chills to listen to Vin Scully call that now I remember Buckner was pretty cratchety he had this almost like looked like a crab almost he was moving sideways the ball had terrific English spin on it and he just he it went between his legs he couldn't he couldn't get it you know I, there was a lot of people you look back. It's like, why was he even out on the field? Because he had the bad legs or the bad, you know, the bad, you know, the bad knees. So why wasn't he replaced defensively? But as a kid watching this, now I grew up growing up a Yankee fan. But because they were playing the Boston Red Sox, my dad drilled it into my head. No, we go with whoever is playing against the Red Sox. So even though it was the Mets, and my dad jumped up out of his seat, screaming. We win, we win, along with the scoreboard flashing when uh, after the uh, era. But here's a question I'll ask you if you remember visually. I don't know if Buckner, even if he fielded it cleanly, that he would have beaten Mookie Wilson to first base. Very good if you question. look at exactly where Wilson was down that line and where Buckner was and the ball was just going through his legs, even if he caught it, he had bad legs. I don't think he would have been able to uh, to beat him to first base. But that would have been a different history because I agree with you. I agree with you. But it would have been a different history. And here's why I say that, Pete, because if he fielded the ball clean and made his best effort to make the put out, then there would not have been this Buckner moment like I'm comparing it to Bartman and how he hurt Chicago. Uh, So the fact that he couldn't field the ball, it made him look inadequate, uh, like he shouldn't have been on the field, as you said a moment ago. But I think you're right about that, Pete. I don't know that he would have beaten Mookie Wilson, who was coming down that line quick. I don't think he would have got there. You know, two more things about this. One is people forget, and it was in the earlier part of the clip, the Bob Stanley wild pitch. Mm -hmm. If there's no wild pitch, 
and that ground ball still happens, we're not talking about the game being over because the runners wouldn't be wouldn't have advanced. But the other part to what you were saying earlier uh, before we played the clip, as far as they accidentally flashed what was happening, you know, the world champion Red Sox. Bob Costas has said he was already in the Red Sox dugout ready to do the first ever interview in the 20th century that would be live because there was no TV in 1918 with the Red Sox. The champagne was out. He says, and after the game was tied, he says, like, unbelievably quick they ran back into that clubhouse and removed all the champagne and all the potential uh, celebration material for the Red Sox. Because, as you know, that's when they really believed there really was the curse of the Bambino. Because how does this happen? They couldn't. They couldn't believe it. So yeah, they had to do all those things just to save the uh, the mental health of all the players who would be coming in there. That knew in the back of their mind, we're about to celebrate. Uh, a great victory, and instead uh, the whole thing goes bad, and then they lose Game 7, and they lose the World Series, and that made people think that uh, the Red Sox maybe permanently were were cursed and would never win uh, for trading Babe Ruth to the Yankees. When we come back, the next pick is mine. I've got it. I've got to do it. Uh, I also think maybe, maybe just maybe, uh, Producer Pete might have picked this one next. He'll, he'll tell us when we come back. I'm keeping mine a secret until we come back. And we're going to save the final audio of Vin Scully for the very end of today's special edition. Filling in for Brian, I'm Harry with Producer Pete, of course, Allison and Eric. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are back. It is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Allison, Pete, Eric, yours truly, Harry, filling in for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. And we are co-hosting this segment of the Brian Kilmeade Show with producer Pete, who picked today's topic for the last um, two segments of today's program. And I absolutely love him for it. Uh, Huge baseball fan, huge Yankees fan, but I am a huge baseball fan. If it's somebody that's on the Dodgers and obviously the Yankees, my favorite team of the Dodgers have had great um, history, but Vin Scully had reverence for America's pastime. He's the greatest that ever was in terms of announcing, and there's been great ones, but he is the greatest in my opinion, now, not just because of longevity. My next pick of a memorable Vin Scully call is Kirk Gibson hobbling on one leg to the plate as a pinch hitter on October 15th, 1988, Eric cut 21. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And now the only question was, could he make it around the base paths unassisted? You know, I said it once before, a few days ago, that Kirk Gibson was not the most valuable player, that the most valuable player for the Dodgers was Tinkerbell. (laughs) But tonight, I think Tinkerbell backed off for Kirk Gibson. Well, I have to admit that's a great call, and I don't remember it because we, we are inundated with Jack Buck's call. Does Jack Buck steal this particular call, Pete? 
Yeah, I, I, it's a rare moment where somebody would, would I would put ahead of Vince Scully in a call, but it's Jack Buck, and that yeah, that's the one that's ingrained in my in my head. But I what I do what I do love about Scully is these yeah, again he let it breathe. He didn't just jump right into the whole can he get around yeah. the bases. He let the moment speak for itself. And you're watching Gibson rounding the bases, pumping his fist. Yes was just amazing. And and the fact that Eckersley didn't throw him a fastball and try to bust him inside because he never would have been able to turn on a fastball because he was in such bad condition. It's true. And Jack Buck didn't say a whole lot. I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. And he gets the uh, MVP of that call. Pete, next pick is yours. Next pick, I'm going to have to go with cut 22, especially how he finished it. Fernando Valenzuela's no-hitter from 1990. Uh, I knew you were going to go. Fernando ready in the strike two pitch. Is hit back to the box, dribbling to second. Samuel on the bag, throws to first, double play. Fernando Valenzuela has pitched a no-hitter at 10-17 in the evening of June the 29th, 1990. If you have a sombrero, throw it to the sky. Oh, that's classic. So good. Quick comment. I want to squeeze one more in. Yeah, I, I just love it. It was, one again, not, not growing up a Dodger fan, but being able to see that because I believe they cut live to it on ESPN. So we were able to see the Dodger uh, broadcast via ESPN, and I was glued to the set. Because of Vince Scully's credibility, he could do this. Not many sports uh, announcers play-by-play. Uh, color could get away with this, but Vin Scully could because of his credibility. I don't know the date. I know the year, 2016, a game between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers, and listen to what the greatest baseball announcer in history said. Cut 26, Eric. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden... There's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. Come on, Pete. I just love how he's after all that, which he's right. Anyway, Anyway, 0-2. How good is that? You know what? Even in the last year of his his career, he's still uh, amazing. Pete, we only have time to get in the final words of this 67 year pantheon of his of his craft so just do it in a montage eric cuts 24 and 25 you know friends so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67 year career in baseball and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family and now all i can do is tell you what i wish for you may god give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life seems a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon 
wherever you may be. Producer Pete, how great is that? I have chills and a little, you know, you get a little sadness listening oh. to it because, again, this his voice was part of the, I guess, soundtrack of my childhood growing yeah. up as a huge baseball fan because he, he called, I forget how many World Series, I believe he called 20, 25 World Series in his career. So I remember them in the 80s, so you figure I watched 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89. He called all of those, so that's part of my childhood. And how about this? And we're down to the final 20, 30 seconds, Pete, but how about it, at age 90-ish, a little over 90, uh, as great, if not as great, as he ever was in year one, he was in year 67. I just, as a Yankee fan, I imagine if he would have stuck with the Yankee offer, we would have had Vince Scully all these years instead of oh. the 900 guys we have now. Amazing. Pete, thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, until we meet again. Thank you, Harry. You're welcome. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.